0: I um I walked into a recruitment agent the other day, and Dad has a, a good friend who's the owner of a recruitment company, and I'm just about a month away from finishing my study, and so I'm on the job hunt, and I I walked into, I walked into the room to, to meet this guy, um, and the, he takes one look at me and he says, "Oh, you're your father's son." Even the shirt, (laughs) I've I've got got one fashionable shirt and and, um, dad has a reputation for wearing these classy shirts to work. And so the guy looked at me without even knowing who I was and he said, you're your father's son. And it just struck a chord in me that this is who we're called to be, our father's son. I wonder, what that, I wonder if that's what people think when they see you. Are you your father's son? Are you children of God? Do you love like God? Do you have the nature, the character, the life of God living within you so much so that when people meet you, they're left with a sense of, I don't know what that was, but that was something divine. There was something different. There was something heavenly. I can't put my finger on it. But it's different to what I'm used to. It's different to the way of the world. And sitting in my economics class, I was almost apprehended by something that the lecturer was saying the other day. And he talked, um, I'm studying economics and international trade was a particular Uh, Topic, And he talked about the system of the world economy And he talked about the way in which nations try to get the best deal possible for themselves Without thinking about everyone else And so what happens when people live in this way If you can imagine a pie Everyone's trying to get the biggest lump of the pie for themselves At the expense of everyone else but the problem is, what the lecturer was presenting, is that when everyone operates in that way, not only do the nations either get a bigger or smaller lump of the pie, but the pie itself shrinks because of all of the selfishness and greed that's part of this operating system. So everyone loses out. You know, It says in Matthew that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And these will be the beginning of the birth pangs. And that's what we see. We see this world system that's built on the most immense selfishness and greed. Everyone is out for their own gain. And yet the church of God are to be a people in the earth that are so set free from that operating system. They're the only source of another type of life that cannot be found anywhere else, not even in another relationship, not even between a mother and her son, a wife and a husband. And I'll talk about examples in our own marriage a bit later about how God has taken us from operating in an earthly, selfish way and had, through a process of brokenness and a repentance, taught us what it looks like to love one another and to love him. And so the first verse I'd like us just to quickly look at is in Romans 8. It's in verse 19. You don't have to turn there. Sometimes it's easier just to actually listen to, to what it is that's being read without trying to follow in your own translation it says for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so sitting in this class, I just felt a sense of the weight of the groan of creation that's operating with, within this selfish, greedy way of doing things. And it is, you know, I wonder if we have the same perspective of Paul who sees the groan of creation itself as having a specific purpose. And he says that creation waits eagerly, I says, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly For the revealing of the sons of God. And so all of this is not for no reason. It's for a specific purpose. And Paul can see it. And he points it out and he says this whole world and everything in it is for the purpose of the sons of God being revealed. Coming to their fullness. Growing to the full measure of stature that is in Christ. I wonder if that's what you see when you look out on the world and everything in it, the purpose of all of this being for the sons of God to be revealed, to grow, to be recognized, not necessarily even by the world, but Paul, he talks about the principalities and powers and the demonstration that the church is to make to the unseen heavenly realms. And so if you flick over... Our main scripture today will be in John 8. So it will be worthwhile turning to John 8 if you have a Bible. Cool. And so I'm just going to read this out. So it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, Then you are truly disciples of mine And you will know the truth And the truth will make you free They answered him We are Abraham's descendants And have never yet been enslaved to anyone How is it that you say You will become free Jesus answered them Truly, truly, I say to you Everyone who commits sin Is the slave of sin The slave does not remain in the house forever The son remains forever So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Oh, has anyone read that scripture and almost been left breathless at the weight and the intensity Of what is going on within this one passage. You know, Jesus, it says at the beginning, was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, so let's just get that straight. These are believers, these are people who have made some kind of commitment, some kind of decision to follow Jesus. And yet he ends up saying to them, You're of your father, the devil. It's a massive call, a massive statement. And so Jesus here has come to this point of contention with the Jews, that he's bringing to them this message of freedom and truth and life, a message of sonship, a message of what it means to be adopted into the family of God and to become set free from themselves and from the things of the world and to become sons of the living God. But there's a, how would you say, a crisis that happens. Because from their perspective, they are children of God. They are descendants of Abraham. They're of the bloodline. They've grown up in church their entire life. It's almost like Jesus is standing up before a whole congregation of Christians and saying, guys, you need to be saved. And they're all sitting there thinking, but we're already saved. I've prayed the prayer. I've been going to services my whole life. My granddad was a pastor. And he's saying there's more to it than that. But you're not prepared to listen. Listen to the more, because my word has no place in you. And so, in verse 35, at the beginning, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Interesting little remark that he just slips in there in the midst of this back and forth that's going on. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. And so Jesus is trying to get into their consciousness this difference between slavery and sonship. The difference between something that is human, earthly, temporary, and something that's heavenly and eternal. You know, the best example that I can think of, he's talking about abiding in a house and i think of the difference between renting a house and buying a house when you rent a house it's temp- you're there temporarily you don't own it and anything that you do to it any renovations or repairs you're going to have to move out in a few months anyway so it's all a bit of a waste of time really whereas when you buy a house anything that you do to that house actually belongs to you it abides forever And so Jesus here, he can't, he loves the Jews so much that he's not prepared to live them in their current state where they're living for the things of earth. They're ferociously trying to renovate a house that they're going to move out of in two months' time. They're investing all of their resources, their energy, they're burning themselves out, building this house that is not really theirs and doesn't belong to them. But their security has been wrapped up in it. They've been entertaining guests. They've been having parties. All their friends are only friends with them because of this glamorous house that they've built for themselves with their own hands. And Jesus... He says to them, the slave does not abide in the house forever. The son abides forever. And he's saying, guys, don't work for food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life. Why are you building your lives on that which does not profit and for food that ultimately does not satisfy And he's saying there's something greater for you to enter into. But it will come at a cost. The earthly and the temporary for the heavenly and the eternal. What do you want? It's up to you. And I love you so much that I'm not prepared. I'm not even considering myself. I'm prepared to go there with you. I'm prepared for you to hate me, to spit on me, to walk away from me. I don't need you. You need me. And so they did. Ultimately they went to the they took him to the cross and they nailed him because they could not accept his word. His word had no place in them because they were bent on building their rental. As opposed to investing in the heavenly dwelling that God had prepared for those sons who love Him, it's awesome. It's it's awesome that we could exchange the earthly for the eternal, that we could give Him our ashes for His beauty. the eternal house that's being built is us. By the Spirit of God, we are becoming a people of his own possession. We're being built, we're being circumcised, not with human hands, but by the Spirit of the living God as he touches the depths of our hearts and crucifies anything that is of the flesh, anything that is tying us down, the worries, the anxieties, the pressures of life, those things are being put to death. And he's forming in us an eternal weight of glory that will never perish. And he's saying, you can have either one you want, but I hope that you would choose me. And that's my hope this morning, that you would hear the words by faith. Because you're either hearing one of two things right now, a condemnation, that you love the things of the world more than you love him, or you're hearing the promise and the opportunity of a God who himself, when he calls us, does a work, that is far and beyond our own capacity, a circumcision made without human hands. And you'll hear that and you'll say, yes. Yes, I have got no idea how that's going to happen, but yes. By your grace, by your power, by your spirit, yes. And you'll be catapulted into a new way of living. Free from yourself and grabbing hold of him. And so I love Jesus. He's so gentle at first. (laughs) He's talking about truth and freedom in life. Guys, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. But he's not prepared to just leave it at that. He knows that they're not listening. They're not accepting the words of eternal life. And so he ramps it up. And says, Guys, you're rejecting me. The attitude that's coming out of you. My, I just sense my word has no place in you, is what he's saying. They're still not listening. So back and forth, back and forth in the conversation. He has to go there. He has to say, guys, you're of your father, the devil, because you want to do the desires of your father. Oh, what a statement. I wonder if you go there in your life group discussions. <laughs> But he's prepared to lay it out. It's almost like this is the last opportunity. He's diving in front of them as the bus is coming along the road, saying, "Guys, what the attitude that you're operating from is of the kingdom of darkness. If you continue living this way, you'll never become an inheritor of my eternal life within you." And so Peter does this again with uh, sorry, Jesus does this again with Peter. And Jesus saying, I'm going to the cross, and I need to for your sake. And Peter says, what on earth are you doing? You belong to me. You're my best friend. There's no way you're going to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You have your mind set on man's interests and not on God's. And so that's what's going on here. He's saying your attitude, your thinking is of the world. It's of the temporary. It's of the rental. It's not of the heavenly and eternal life that I've come to bring. What love, eh? What love that's prepared to go there. I'm thankful that he's been prepared to go there with me. And he's been prepared to reveal the crap that has been locked up within my heart that was keeping me in bondage. And anyone who's been to that place will say, yes, I'm so thankful that you will be prepared to go there. You become thankful for others who have been prepared to have those conversations with you because they've led to life. And it's those who have faith who see the end goal and the purpose for the process that will have, when they've gone through it, the most overwhelming gratitude that wells up within their hearts. So Jesus, he's talking with them about being sons. And he's saying to them, guys, there's more to sonship than what you're in. Being a son of God is not just about title. It's not just about position. It's not just about what family you're from or what good deeds you've done. Being a son is about being like me. And the attitude that you are exhibiting right now is not of my spirit. So I wonder if we can just have a look at Matthew 5. This is a beautiful passage, Matthew 5. And in here, Jesus is describing what the sons of God truly look like. Verse 43. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Interesting. Sons of your Father who is not on earth but in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends out rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus is saying, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Who are the sons of God? Those who are like the Father. Those who love like the Father. He said, you've you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say to you, I'm of another realm. I'm of another way of being and doing things, a heavenly one. And those who are born of me will be like me. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Seems to be the day for massive statements. <laughs> Has anyone else been a bit gobsmacked? To be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, God is seems to make some sort of purpose of giving us commandments that are absolutely, totally and completely unattainable in your flesh. He says to children honour your mother and your father. I don't know how that's worked out so well in my childhood (laughs) but Honor your father and your mother. How can a four year old who only cares about ice cream and McDonald's honor their mother and father? It's beyond them. The call is so outrageous, they've got no ability, no capacity to fulfill what he's calling them to fulfill. It's shocking. It's condemning if you hear it through the ears of your flesh. Or it's life-giving and empowering. Because when he says to the child, honor your father and mother, he's not talking about something that you do. He's saying, grow up. Mature. Because you don't have a hope in your current state or being able to honour me. And so this is the divine setup between the law and between grace. The law condemns and it's supposed to. If you're living under the law as a Christian, you will have a sense of condemnation every day. Probably every time you pick up the Bible. Probably every time Greg gets up to speak. Because the law is supposed to condemn. It's supposed to condemn any confidence in your flesh and any capacity that you have to be like God without God. As Adam and Eve, they eat from this tree and you'll be like God. We cannot be like God without God. And so he's saying, Here, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so I looked that word up, and I think we've heard it before. But that word perfect means complete. You know, in the Greek, it actually means going through the required stages of a process to achieve a certain outcome. Interesting. It means maturity. (coughs) Therefore, you are to go through all of the stages of the process that God has set out for you by faith as your heavenly Father was prepared to go through the same thing. So he's saying here that this is more than just something that you do. This is about becoming the sons, the people of God. And so how do, we, how do we go through that process? What does it mean to become children of God? Well, the rich young ruler asked a very similar question to Jesus and he comes to him and he says, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to them, well, you know the commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. He says, but I have. I've done that since I was a kid. And then Jesus says to him, he says, if you want to be complete Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, then come follow me. So he lays out the process right there, then and there. It's wholeheartedness. Any attitude that isn't wholeheartedness is not acceptable to him, to enter into this life that he has on offer. And right there is the problem that us and our humanity We're not wholehearted. We're children struggling to try and honor our parents when all we care about is ice cream. It's like the rich young ruler comes up. What must I do? What good thing must I do? I'm at university and I hear that all the time. And having been at university, gone away and worked and then come back, I'm in a class full of people who are far younger than me. And I hear, say, what do I need to do to pass? How do I get a C minus? How do I get 51% that I can tick it off and that's done and dusted? And Jesus says to him here, if you have that attitude, you won't even start. You know, the church had been so good about boxing up justification, sanctification. He doesn't see it like that. There's only one attitude that's acceptable to him, and that's A+. Because he's looking, not for a past, he's looking for a people of his own possession who love him wholeheartedly. Is that challenging? Is that convicting? Because it's acceptable to say that in every other context except for in Christianity. To say to Tess, Tess, I care about you 51%. And I'm going to enter into marriage with that attitude. Get out of town. Anything else is absolutely unacceptable to him in heart and mind and attitude. Because he's on the pursuit, he's on the hunt for a bride for mature sons for a people who love him wholeheartedly and so if you start with that mindset I don't know where you're going to end up but it's not with him and so this is his grace towards us This is the power of the new covenant that contained within those words is the power to fulfill what he's calling us to fulfill. When he says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, contained within that commandment is the divine life and power of God to all of those who say yes to him. And that's what he's looking for. I hope that I've completely destroyed any confidence you have in your flesh. (laughs) And that you're left and stripped completely naked before him. It's the most beautiful and awesome place to be. Because that's when he starts to do a divine work above and beyond anything that you could either think or imagine according to the abundant power that's at work within us, is what scripture says. And so when he destroys confidence in the flesh, he restores a hundredfold confidence in a God who loves and is absolutely and entirely committed to making you and I not a 51% not a C-plus student, but a bride. Sons who love him wholeheartedly. And that's what we're called to. All of you are called to be a wholehearted people. Not in and of yourself, but through the divine work and power of the Holy Spirit that's within you. See why I said? You have to hear this through the lens of faith. Do you hear the opportunity? Do you hear the setup that He's put everything in place to make us the people of His own possession? It's the most awesome invitation. So don't be like Esau who traded his birthright for a single meal. Don't go away. Hearing what you've heard and choose the earthly, the temporary. Don't hear condemnation. Don't hear that there's no, that you don't have the capacity. You don't, but he does. Hear through faith. Hear that all things are possible to those who believe, to those who give him their yes. Yes. No, we sung a song about the promises of God being yes and amen. And then the next verse after that, it says, but the yes is spoken by us to the glory of God. His promises are yes and amen. He said, I'm going to make you a people of my own possession. And the yes is spoken by us to the glory of God. So I hope that you say yes this morning. I hope that you say yes to the work that he wants to do, taking you from being in the kingdom of darkness, the son of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the son of his love, our heavenly people, our people who love like him, who think like him, who are entirely for him. And if you have a sense of I'm not there today, That's the best position to be in because now you can cry out truly, maybe even for the first time, and say to him, God, this is impossible. I need you. I'm so in need of you. I'm more in need of you than I ever have been. This is about Abraham. In hope against hope, he believed. He tried his best through his own flesh. God said, I'm going to give you a son, a gift, something that's divine, something that was given. And Abraham took that promise on board. But something along the road happened, and he became anxious or unsure. And so he tries to make it happen, and he sleeps with, can't remember her name now, Hagar, Hagar, and he has a son, but it's not the divine son. He tries in his own flesh, and the grace of God is magnificent. That even after mucking it up, God is still faithful and still committed and gives him. When he's 80 years old, when in the barrenness of Sarah's womb, it was totally and completely impossible gives him the son of promise. What an awesome and faithful God that we have to fulfill on his promise. And so I just wanted to share at the end just realistically what that's looked like for Tess and I in our marriage and going through this process. You know, um, when we were, Dating, I had a, a real strong sense of God and his purpose for marriage. And I didn't want to get married unless it was something that would be beneficial for both of us in our following of him. And I really was set on walking this out in, in the right way. But something along the road happened maybe a mixture or an entanglement of human desire and God. Maybe like Abraham attempting in my own flesh to make something happen but actually not being in his life. And over a process of time, God, it felt like he opened the curtains into our heart and the operating system that really lay behind some of our actions, our attitudes, our decisions. And it was the most humbling time that, I had e- that I've ever been through in my life. And there was a particular time where, I won't go into, I won't go into all the details, but, but there was an immense conviction that came over us, not from an action, but from an attitude of seeing the purpose being earthly and temporary as opposed and losing sight of the eternal and the divine call and so the, we were flooded with conviction for about a week hey eh? and I felt like I felt like I had been stripped naked we felt like we were the woman caught in adultery it wasn't physical adultery it was spiritual that for whatever reason